Easter. Amen. He's alive. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? That's why we're we're here today. We're here because he's alive. We're not here because he's still on the cross. Amen. I mean, that that is good news, folks. And uh, even though it's been 2,000 years, he's alive now and forevermore. And that gives us great hope and assurance. So I'm so glad you're here today. I'm glad springtime is coming. I just love this weather. It just makes me happy. (laughs) <laughs> Something about it. When I see the sun out there and I can feel the warmth of it, it just makes me happy. And uh, and that's why the, maybe Jesus is the sun too, because he makes us happy. Would you stand with me? And we're just going to worship him today. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. So thankful, Lord, that we have the privilege to be in your presence today. Thank you for uh, choosing your choices so that we can make our choices appropriately. And they give us hope and assurance. So, Father, as we sing praises and sing these songs of worship, I pray, Father, that it blesses you. I pray, Father, that it makes you smile today, that you receive our worship, and we just appreciate all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave
Shit. 
Imagine the disciples on the road to Emmaus. As they walked along, Jesus was there with them. In fact, He made it a point, though they didn't recognize Him in His new body. He went up to them and He says, Hey guys, what's happening? And they looked at Him like He was from another planet, perhaps another kingdom. And they said, Haven't you heard? Haven't you heard? The man who brought us such hope. The man who brought us life. The man who... He was sent by God. And they crucified Him. And it was in that discourse, Jesus looked at Him and He said, How dull can you be? How slow of heart you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You know, you've heard that saying, not the sharpest knife in the drawer. That's what dull means. That's where we got it from. Dull. I thank God for an empty tomb. Because I was one of those walking on the road and I had so much hope and now this people of God I pray an empty tomb over your lives that you may look upon that and praise God for it he can come and wash away every disappointment every failure every perceived failure all the things that were spoken over you that in mocking and in, in laughter and curses, all it takes is one look at an empty tomb and look into His face and say, thank you, Jesus. How many of you have a need this morning that is so great, so great that you don't know how the Lord will perform it. Do you need a prayer of encouragement? Do you need someone to stand with you? you? want to take that moment right now to do that. If you're here this morning, you'd like someone to anoint you with oil for a sickness, for an illness. Jesus is still in the healing business. The same yesterday, today, and forever. What you read in the Bible is still true today. He is still doing that amongst His people. The authority that He's given us, we bless each other with. Amen. As you're seated, would you just look to someone, maybe maybe you know that person sitting next to you, maybe you don't, probably you know them. Just welcome them, would you please? And just say, hey, welcome to church today. Amen. And... Uh, if you don't know somebody, then after church, make it a point to go over and introduce yourself, okay? Let's just really be friendly and uh, pretend that we like each other. <laughs> it's Easter. But the whole point is that he rose. That he rose and he's alive forevermore. That's the lesson. That's the message. Isn't our world upside down in so many ways? I don't know that I can ever recall a time. In fact, it's not an I can recall. It has never been this way before. In America, at least. We are like a third, third world country in many ways because we are just so upside down and the truth isn't prevailing anymore. We need a Savior. We need the risen Lord to come into our culture today. We need Him more than ever. And that's what I love about the Easter season. I love it because it is the beginning of a new season of life. It's the time of year when nature all around us comes back to life. It's been dormant, it's been brown, it's been gray, and now we're starting to see green grass coming up. We're starting to see the flowers coming, and it's just starting to get beautiful out there. The trees are budding, the birds are singing, baby animals are being born, they will be born. Skunks are out. Skunks are out on the highways, be careful. Um, 
Don't hit a skunk. Um, but they're out. Such a special time of the year that we celebrate the new life of Easter. But you know, it didn't start that way. It didn't start out the way we're celebrating it today. It started out to be a disaster, actually. It was a big failure <laughs> because Christ died and no one was expecting that. Jesus, the King of the Jews, that just a few days before this time was being heralded as the King of the Jews. Hosanna. We said that we talked about this last week on Palm Sunday. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And now some of those same people that were crying Hosanna just a couple days prior to this cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. What went wrong for Jesus? What happened? What changed in those, in those few days that, that changed the hearts of the men that started out crying Hosanna to end up crying out, crucify him? Well, I think what's common to all people, to many people, is that we often misunderstand God's purpose in many areas of life. I think that it's very evident and very obvious that most of the people 2,000 years ago didn't have a clue what was really going on this week. Passover week, they'd been celebrating, uh, celebrating it forever, the Jewish nation, the Jewish religion. But this was a different week. Something happened differently this week, and they just didn't understand it. They totally missed the purpose of Jesus' life. And like we said last week, that people are very predictable. We get in a crowd, and we lose our own identity, and we lose our own purpose. We take on the identity and the purpose of the crowd, whatever the crowd is. And as Jesus was ushered into Jerusalem last week, he was being hailed the king of the Jews, and most of the people, if not all of the people, bar maybe the disciples, were expecting Jesus to set up an earthly kingdom to save them from the Roman rule. And they totally didn't understand the fact that his long-term purpose was to set up an eternal kingdom. They came only expecting Jesus to free them from the occupation of the Romans. See, people were living in the moment. They were looking at the immediate around them. And they were looking for Christ to deliver them, which is common for us. I mean, it's not unusual. It's not unusual to, to think that way because that's the way we're created. We, we're, I mean, we're physical people. We think in terms of what's in it for me in the immediate future, and it's difficult it's difficult to have a long-term perspective on things. It's difficult to be patient, isn't it? We have a, we have a I want it now attitude, a what's in it for me attitude. And when Jesus wasn't able to deliver what they thought he was supposed to deliver, they were confused. They turned on him. But I don't think we should be too quick to blame them. Because... Even though they cried out, crucify him, crucify him, they really didn't know what they were talking about. They didn't have the, inf the, the information that we have today. They were looking at it from a very in-the-moment perspective. How many times in our life, how many times in our life have we said the same things? Have we said crucify him? Maybe not the words, but maybe by our actions. We've changed from a all hail King Jesus to I don't want you in my life, King Jesus. How many times have we made choices that have proven the fact that maybe we've missed the point as well? Now, I know this is something we don't like to talk about on Easter because we just want to talk about all the, all the good things. And there's a lot of good things to talk about, but in all reality and in all honesty, we need to look at life in an honest perspective if we're going to have a 
outcome that what we're go- is what we're going to appreciate and want later. So I think it's important that we, we ask ourselves the question, how often have we chosen the temporary things of this world over the eternal things of the kingdom of heaven? How often? And you, may, you might ask, well, what do you mean by that? How, how am I doing that? Well, we do that because we need to look at our prayer life. What is our Bible reading and Bible study life like? How many people have you invited to church or even talked about church with? How many people have you witnessed to, told your story to, given your testimony to? How many people have you prayed with? And here's the biggest question. Do people see Jesus in your life throughout the week? I think you get the point. I'm not trying to belabor it. But these things are not hard to do. What these things are, are proof things. These prove who you are. See, if, you have, if this is hard to do, then it's probably not who you really are. Because if it's not easy to talk about Christ in your life, then maybe we struggle with having Christ in our life. You become known by these things. I, I, was, at, I was at the funeral yesterday of Jim Bishaw. How many people here know Jimmy Bishaw? If you know Jimmy Bishaw, you knew a man that loved Jesus. God bless you, brother. I mean, I mean and, and it was such a tribute to him because there was no question in life who Jim Bishaw loved. And that's the kind of person that we need to be. It wasn't hard for Jim to do that. It wasn't hard for Jim to put a smile on his face and to love people and to say, God bless your brother, because he really meant it. It was not put on. It was not a show for people. It was really who he was. Those are the things that prove who we are. Easter is a good news message. It's a message of the redeeming power of Jesus and his saving grace. But to see it that way, we must first see ourselves truthfully and honestly of who we are. If I'm going to be able to see the need that I have for a deliverer, I must first see in my life the fact that I need a deliverer. And, it, and it's the truth, listen, it's the truth that will set you free, not your perception of what you want the truth to be. Listen to this. The truth of God's word is what sets us free, not the perception of what I want it to be. And we are living in a world when truth is not spoken much anymore. It's sad, the fact that we live in a world that our leaders, our governmental leaders and those above us just aren't trustworthy. Why is that? Because they have their own agenda. They have an agenda that's not lining up with the Word of God. Therefore, their, their words don't, don't show you the right way. They're showing you a way to their agenda. And therefore, if it doesn't line up with God's truth, it's a perception of truth. In their mind, that is truth, probably. But unfortunately, it's so easy for us to believe the, the untruths of the world and not believe the truths of God's word. I was at a sunrise service this morning up at Becca Berg's farm, and Alice did the, did the little message there, and I was speaking to a couple of the guys there as we were just discussing, and we were talking about that, and how easy it is, how this world has blinded the eyes and the truth of what it is, and people are just falling in line of the untruths of so many things. But yet when it comes to the truth of God's word, how they don't believe that. I mean, the, the, the proof of God's word is tested. It's proven. I mean, we're going to read scripture here in a little bit that, that prophesies the life and death of Jesus that was given hundreds of years before Jesus. And when we read through this, we're going to see that it happened. 
exactly the way it was prophesied hundreds of years ago. So the God's word is a proven entity. It is true, but yet it's so common for people today to not believe that, but yet they're so quick to believe a lie of the enemy. Because that's how powerful deception is. That's how powerful the enemy is today in his deceptive world of his agenda. And his agenda is to be the Antichrist or the replacement of Christ. So he will do whatever he has to do as we are living in the end times because, folks, we are living in the end times. We are living in the end of the end times. If you don't believe me, just look around. Just look around in our world and see how upside down it is. And then go back to Bible and then let it show you the fact that it's true again because it's predicted. Everything that we're going through today has been predicted in the Bible as to what is going to be a proof of the end times. It's true. So as we see Christ, who he truly is, and as we put him in his rightful position, the center point or the top priority of our life, we then can begin to understand the Easter message. So let me ask, what did Jesus accomplish that day for mankind? What did he accomplish 2,000 years ago on Easter morning? What did he accomplish for end time, for, for all of mankind? Well, he totally surrendered himself for us there. There was no nothing casual about Jesus' death or his resurrection. It was all in. It was a total sacrifice for him that he made it for us. So for what for him was a dreadful day becomes for us a beautiful day. And I want to read Isaiah chapter 53. And it's on your handout, and I'm going to be on the screen in a minute. So would you stand with me as we read God's word and recognize that what we're going to read was not written after Jesus died. Because if you don't understand the context, you're going to look at this and say, well, this was written by one of the disciples after Jesus died, and so he was just account, recounting what happened. No, this was written by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before this ever happened. Before Jesus was even thought of by anybody in the world, this is what Isaiah said. This proves the fact that the Bible is that true. Let's read this together. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning at verse 1. This is out of the Living Bible Translation. It says, But, oh, how few believe it. Who will listen? To whom will God reveal his saving power? In God's eyes, he was like a tender green shoot sprouting from a root in dry and sterile ground. But in our eyes, there was no attractiveness at all, nothing to make us want him. We despised him and rejected him, a man of sorrows, acquainted with bitterest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way when he went by. He was despised, and we didn't care. Verse 4. Yet it was our grief he bore, our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and bruised for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was lashed, and we were healed. We, every one of us, have strayed away like sheep. We, who left God's paths to follow our own, yet God laid on him the guilt and sins of every one of us. Verse 7. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he never said a word. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he stood silent before the ones condemning him. From prison and trial they led him away to his death. But who among the people of that day realized it was their sins that he was dying for, that he was suffering their punishment? He was buried like a criminal, but in a rich man's grave. But he had done no wrong and had never spoken an evil word. But it was the Lord's good plan to bruise him and fill him with grief. However, when his soul has been made an offering for sin, then he shall have a multitude of children, many heirs. He shall live again, and God's program shall prosper in his hands. Verse 11, And when he sees all that is accomplished by the anguish of his soul, he shall be satisfied. And because of what he has experienced, my righteous servant shall make many to be counted righteous before God. For he shall bear all their sins. Therefore... 
I will give him the honors of one who is mighty and great because he has poured out his soul unto death. He was counted as a sinner, and he bore the sins of many, and he pled with God for sinners. Let's pray. Father, we read this account, and it is so amazingly accurate as to exactly what happened. It just proves the fact that this is a real book. It is a book filled with truth, that I can believe everything it says. Thank you for giving us this evidence. Thank you for giving us this proof that we can hold on to this truth in a day and age when we are just not sure what else to believe. And I pray, God, that the Holy Spirit will make this alive to us this morning. And I pray that we will see the Easter message anew for what it is for us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So on that day, Christ defeated Satan. Even though Satan thought he won, even though Satan thought that he had accomplished something great, how stupid is he? Because he just unleashed the power of God in a whole new dimension. And he lost. And Jesus won. He broke the curse of sin. Sin is a curse that all men are under. And it took the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice to defeat and conquer the enemy once and for all. We don't have to re-crucify Jesus. He is not on the cross. And he will never be on the cross again. Because he lives for now and forevermore. However, we, we are dead. We are dead in our sin. And without Christ, we have no hope. Not until we see Jesus for who he is and who he was and who he's going to be that we have hope. But until that day, we are dead in our sins. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 15, through 15, it says, When you were dead... Not if, it says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Amen. That's great news, folks. I mean, that's who we serve today. That is the risen Savior today. That's who I am choosing to serve, and I am proud of that fact, that I've chosen Jesus, the victor. And I'm not allowing the deception of the enemy to get in and steal that from me. <laughs> We're winners today. You're a winner in Christ because of who you are in Jesus Christ, you are a winner in Christ. But what else did Jesus do that day? He provided a way for all people to have access to the Father, number one. Number two, he provided healing for us in all aspects of their lives. We're going to come back and talk about these. And then number three, he provided a way for us to have everlasting life. Let's talk about these for a minute because they have some great truths for us. Number one, he provided a way for all people, all people to have access to his father. You see, up to this point in time, the only men that had access to the, to the father was the priest. In Jewish tradition, in Jewish faith, there was a priest out of the tribe of Benjamin. Was that Brad of Benjamin? Aaron, thank you tribe of Aaron, that that was the priestly tribe. And it was those men were the only ones that had the rights to go into the inner, into the inner room, into the inner, inner chamber where the presence of God was. And they went in there one time a year to give t um, sacrifice. And it was such a holy place that these men wore bells on their robes so that they could hear 
people outside could hear the fact that the priest is still alive because they, they could hear the tinkling of the bells as the priest moved around doing a sacrifice. Because if the priest went in with any sin in his life, unatoned for, being in the presence of a holy God would slay him. So they also, because it was such a holy place, if that happened, they couldn't go in and get him, so they tied a rope around his ankle. So that if the priest got in there and found that he was not atoned for and they didn't hear the tinkling of the bells, they would pull him out of the presence of God because it was such a holy place. That's how powerful it is to be in the presence of God. And that's the only way that it happened prior to the death and resurrection of Jesus. But according to Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 46, we read the fact that now we have access to the presence of God. Luke 23, chapter, or verse 44, it says, It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. Jesus was hanging on the cross. For the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. This was the curtain that separated the outer chamber from the inner chamber. This was the curtain. It was a, a, a thick curtain. It was 30-some feet tall, I think, something like that. And it was, it was big, massive, and it separated the presence of God from the outside chamber or the outside court. And so when Jesus called out in verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into my hand, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. But what happened then when the, when the, court, when the curtain was torn in two, it opened up our opportunity to go into the presence of God on our own. Jesus had been on the cross for about six hours. And in this time, heaven, I'm sure, was grieving the fact that Jesus was dying on a cross for some sins that he did not commit. And I'm sure that God was in agony over this. Even though God had to do this, even though it was for us that he had to do this, it was a painful time when God the Father saw his son hanging on a cross, suffering greatly. And when Jesus finally gave up his last breath, God said, it's enough. It's enough. The sacrifice has been made. And at that point, God took the temple curtain and he just took it top to bottom. And I can just envision in my eyes God's hand coming down in that curtain and just ripping it just like this. Just like... And when that happened you and I have access to the very presence of God. Mark chapter 13, verse 38. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Amen. Amen. That gives us the opportunity to come into the presence of God whenever we need to, whenever we choose to, whenever we want to. And here's the thing. We shouldn't trivialize that point. We shouldn't make that point a weak point. That is a major point in the crucifixion of Christ. We should not underestimate the importance of this godly act that God made a provision for all of us to have access to the throne room of heaven whenever we need to be there. No one has to enter for me anymore. No one has to enter for you. In fact, no one can enter for you anymore. Scripture may not overemphasize this godly act, but make no mistake about it, God is waiting for you there. God is not going to waste the sacrifice that Jesus made now by putting an, one person's salvation at the hand of another man. Think of this. Every person has the same access to the Father through the blood of Jesus as any other man. There are no favorites with God. He loves us all, and he's given us all access to the very presence of God. The question I have for us this morning, is being in his presence a priority to your, for your life? 
I mean, do you think about it, and do you honor it, and do you make it a priority? Do you spend regular time in his presence? And I think when you think about these questions, again, these are not hard. It's not hard to do this. These are proofs of who we are. This is a proof of where my heart is. If it's a struggle for me to come in the presence of God, then it should show me that maybe I need to tweak my heart. Maybe I need to change some things in my heart. These are proof questions. The second thing that God did for us is he provided healing for us in all aspects of our lives. And this is really important. He provided healing for our physical nature, for our emotional nature, and for our spiritual nature. Second, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. It's not a question. You have been healed. Now, we're, instru- we're instructed to pray for healing, and, and God wants us to live a healthy life and, and strong while we're in this world. And I really believe that. I really do believe that God wants us to be healthy. So when we are sick... We're instructed to pray and believe that God will heal us. That's what the Word says. And that's why we take time on Sunday mornings. This is not something we do just to fill a few minutes of a, serv- of a church service. We really believe that when Pastor Rip asks for those that need healing or any prayer, that we really believe God's going to answer. That's why we do it. Because there's no, not many other opportunities in your week, I don't think, that people come up to you and say, can I pray for you? There's probably not many other times that you have an opportunity to say, I've got a need, and people to say, well, I'll pray for you and mean it. So this is something that we need to focus on, and we need to keep it an active part of our service and an active part of our life that we believe that God is concerned about us and he has healing in store for us. However, I also believe that there's so much more to living than just physical healing that God wants us to live in. I think there's so much more to this. In the verse that we just read in 1 Peter, before we read the words that Jesus, by his wounds you have been healed, before those words, it says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. What do you think that means? What do you think it means that God would put it in that order? He wants to heal us, but he's more concerned about our spiritual man than he is about our physical man. He's more concerned that we're spiritually whole than physically whole. And I know that's hard to expect, accept sometimes because we don't like to acknowledge the fact that we can have infirmities in our life or we can be sick or we can have diseases. And I know that God heals, but there's so much more to living in this life than just living healthy in this life. Even though I know how much I want to be healthy, and I know how much it's, you want to be healthy, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it's the fact that God heals us spiritually is so much more important. You see, Jesus took the penalty of our sins, the sickness of our own bad choices upon himself that day, and he gave us in return healing for a sick and diseased soul that had no hope for healing, no hope for ever feeling well, a soul destined for hell and misery for all eternity. He took that from us, and he gave us a life of righteousness. That, folks, is a good trade. (laughs) That is a good exchange. When I'm going to give God my sickness and I'm going to give him my sin and he's going to give me righteousness in return, that is a good God. That's not what I deserve. I don't deserve that, but that's what he wants to give me. 
It's a great thing. So often we see healing as the physical miracles that we're all attaining for. But the most significant healing is a healing of the soul. Because that lasts forever. I can remember when my dad was sick back in 2009 before he died, the last months of his life. I can remember being with my dad. Was, I just started the pastor. And I can remember sitting with him down at his house on Lake Charlevoix, down, and just, the, just he and I sitting in the Lazy Boy recliners. And he was weeping because he was so weep, weak. Couldn't get, even stand up. When you can't breathe, you lose a lot of energy. <laughs> It was the end of, his, end of his pulmonary fibrosis. And he said, Mike, how can my family, how can my grandkids believe in a God that hasn't healed me? Now, you've got to know the context of this conversation. We have been praying for months. Well, my dad was diagnosed for five years. We'd prayed multiple times for healing, believing that God was going to heal him. He was only 79 years old, not, a, not an old man. But... Yet, when I saw what happened in my dad's life, and if you knew my dad, you could probably see this happening. My dad was a very strong individual. And most of the time, our strengths become our weaknesses. And that was my dad's problem, like my problem. But my dad was um, very self-made. And in his strength of his manhood, he would say, Jesus, but I'm not so sure that he lived Jesus. And if you knew my dad, I think you'd get this. And I'm going to stand in front of my dad, and I'm going to account for these words later. So I'm speaking truth here. But yet, when I saw my dad's disease begin to become bigger than my dad's life, I saw a real change in my dad's heart. God was doing a miracle in my dad's spiritual soul, even though that his physical soul, physical life, wasn't being healed at the time. And so... As a witness of that, I'm, 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 I'm spent a couple of years watching it. I saw my dad repenting of things that he had done. I saw my dad going to people that he had offended in the past and saying he was sorry, paying back debts possibly that he might have owed people, doing everything he could to make things right, but the things he couldn't make right, he just asked for forgiveness. That's a heart of true repentance. That's what it means to repent. And so I saw him doing that, and I was witnessing that in his life. And so as I'm sitting there in that chair, listening to my dad weep and, and lament, the Lord really just opened my heart to this. And I realized for the first time in my life that God is more concerned about the spiritual man healing than the physical man healing. Because I said, Dad, wait, listen. You're healed. Look at your spiritual man, Dad. You are a healed man today. You are assured a place in heaven today because of the way that you, because the way that the Lord has healed your spiritual soul. Now, the reality is, Dad, even if God raised you up out of this chair and took away this disease 100%, you're still going to die. <laughs> the physical man's not going to live forever. It's still going to die, but the soul never dies. So which is more important to heal? If you're going to choose a healing that day, which one would you choose? I would choose the spiritual healing over the physical healing any day because I want the one that lasts forever. Amen. And so that gives me great assurance and great hope. And when we pray for people, I do believe that God will heal. I've been healed. I've had miracles in my life, and I've seen miracles. But it's so much more than that. What's more than that is the spiritual healing and the emotional healing that God brings. And that's why, really why this is so important for us is that we'd have to know that if Jesus if Jesus can heal my eternal man then we know that he can heal my spiritual man and that gives me great hope that gives me great assurance that I know for a fact that God has everything under control that I can, he can take care of me at every stage of my life. It doesn't make any difference where I'm at. I have hope today because he is who he is. He, he is who he said he is, and he is not changing. He's eternal, and he's alive forevermore. The third thing he did for us is that he provided for us a way of eternal life. Not only did he raise himself from the dead, but he's giving us the ability to be raised from the dead. See, if he just did it for himself, then he's not thinking much of me. 
but the only reason he died was because of me and you. He didn't have to die to go back to heaven. He did nothing wrong to not be allowed back into heaven. He could have said, God, send your 12,000 legions, 12 legions of angels back in the Garden of Gethsemane and take me home and leave these human people alone to, to fend for themselves. He could have done that and he would have been welcomed back in heaven because that was the choice that he had. But he didn't do it that way because he loves us so much. He rose from the dead. He's still alive. And that allows us, that gives us the same assurance. John chapter 6, verses 47 through 51. The writer, of John, the writer of this says, I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and may not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. It's so interesting in this passage here that I find Jesus saying two different things here. First of all, he says that we must believe, and then he says we must eat. One is an action of the mind, and the other is an action of the body. That we must believe in our mind. That's an action of um, spiritual form of taking in our mind, but then we must ingest in our soul the bread of life. It's a two-step process. And that's what salvation is. Salvation is, as James chapter 2, verse 17 says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So faith is important, but we must, we must put action to it. And our belief in Jesus being our only way for salvation must be accompanied by a form of action on our part. And that's what it meant to eat the bread, the living bread of Christ's life. It doesn't require a work of the flesh. It requires a digestion of the flesh or a sacrifice of the flesh so that we then can have eternal life. No person, hear me, this is so important, no person can make that sacrifice of the flesh for another man. It's an individual responsibility. Jesus died for you. And he rose for you. That's it. That's the message today. It's your message it's a personalized message. The tragedy of human nature is that we want to have all the good of what God would give us without the need to have the sacrifice required. We want to make the cross, we want to make the resurrection casual and simple. And thank God it is simple, but it's not casual. Salvation is a free gift, yet it will cost you everything you have. Can I just be honest with you today? I have to be honest with you. Because if I say salvation is a free gift and don't tag it on to say, yes, it is free. Nothing you can do to earn it. Nothing you can do to get it on your own. But once you have it, you have to give everything you have. It has to be your life. It has to be the proof of who you are. You see, the same enemy that Jesus had is the same enemy of our soul. Satan has the same evil intention of total destruction of our soul as he did for Christ. And it's only when we can begin to understand his absolute total evil. Listen, we have to understand the evil nature of Satan only then can we begin to understand why we must live a life of sacrifice. Listen, we live a life of sacrifice for Jesus as he died a sacrifice for us. We're, uh, we are a living sacrifice. Where he had to die to be the sacrifice, we are now a living sacrifice. And this makes our life full of joy, full of life, full of appreciation for everything that Jesus did for us. Because when I can understand that, 
then I can understand the fact that Jesus paid a price I couldn't pay. He paid for my sin so that I don't have to die anymore. He took my punishment so that I can live a life of eternal joy and happiness and peace and comfort. Then, and only then, can I truly live a life of holy righteousness when I understand what Easter's all about. And I think that's probably the problem for us today is that most of us that that struggle with living a sold-out life for Jesus is because we misunderstand the message of Easter. We misunderstand what Jesus did. Easter is intended to be a celebration of living a life of spiritual freedom every day for the victorious Christian. This is not something we put on on Sundays and take off on Mondays. So when I can see what Jesus has accomplished that day, we can learn to live in victory every day. Every day is a life of victory for us. Every day is a life of new beginnings for us. It's a life of forgiveness all over again because I make mistakes. And I do things that aren't pleasing to the Lord on a daily basis. And so I repent on a daily basis. And I have victory every day. I don't put Jesus back on the cross, but I accept his forgiveness of his blood every day. I pour it over my heart every day. Jackie, would you come, please? The final thing among the many things that Jesus provided for us on Easter is that we became a brother of Christ and that we are now given adoption papers to share his heavenly Father with us. We are brothers with Christ. Think of this. Think of the miracle that is, that he has adapted us into the family of God. We saw Jesus crying out, Abba, Father, back in the Garden of Gethsemane, if this cup could pass from me, take it. But if it can't be, then your will be done. He said that. And in the same passage, Romans, Romans, chapter, 8, 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17, we hear the same Abba, Father, for us. He says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies that our spirit, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Listen to this. We are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. Folks, I don't know about you, but that is the best news I've heard in a long time that I can be a brother of Christ, that I can be called a son of God. (laughs) That's just amazing. And and that means that my dad and mom that have passed ahead of me, and they're in the same throne room of God with Jesus is, because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercessions for the saints. And my my mom and dad are with him in the throne room of heaven because they're co-heirs, they're brothers with Christ. They have the same responsibility and the same authority and the same privileges that Jesus has. It's because we're co-heirs. We're not, we're not unequals. We're not angels. No, we are co-heirs with Christ. It's an amazing thing. So this morning as we celebrate Easter, I just have to ask the question, what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with him? Have you received them? Do you celebrate them every day? Do you count yourself blessed to be a child of God? Or are you still on the outside looking in? You have the opportunity to receive them today. It's not hard. But I will tell you, it's going to require everything you have. It's not an earning it by your flesh, but it's a dying to your flesh every day. And I'm going to tell you, it's a good trade because it's not hard. It's great fulfilling. It's a great purpose in your life. It gives you a purpose to live like you've never lived before. The enemy will do everything he can to keep us from this point. But the only way that any of us are going to be a son or a child of God is that we see Jesus bearing our sins. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? Father, I pray that we would envision 
the truth of what happened in that period of time so many years ago. That for the people of the day, it was a travesty. Only to find out that it was exactly what you had planned. And that it, it was the plan to bring us back into relationship with you. And I pray, Father, that you would give us that revelation knowledge. Lord, that we would look at this message not to be a condemning message, but to be a message of hope, a message of acceptance, a message of forgiveness, a message of redemption, a message of new life, that we would live forever and ever with you as we receive you as our Savior and make you our Lord. So this morning, as you're sitting here, possibly, I don't know where you're at this morning with the Lord, but I want to give you an opportunity to make sure you know where you're at today. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior by simply asking him to forgive you of your sins. Simply saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. I played the games long enough. And it's time to change. Now I'm going to ask you, Jesus, to give me your Holy Spirit to enable me to do this. Because I can't do it on my own. I need you. I need you to forgive me. And I need you to live in me. And I need you to provide for me the path for tomorrow I thank you Jesus for your faithfulness please forgive me so that I can celebrate with you forever and ever in Jesus name amen Stand with me if you would. And if you prayed that prayer today, you can sing the song that we're going to sing in a minute with a new sense, a new hope. But if you prayed that prayer today, would you talk? Would you tell somebody you did? I'm here. You can come, and I'd love to pray with you. If you're watching online, if you made this prayer, call me. Talk to somebody. Let them know that you've made a change that Jesus is now your Savior and that make him your Lord. Amen. Jackie, would you just lead us in this? Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he bought me in all his love for me. All his love for me. Who the Son said
Father, thank you for that. Thank you for giving us a place at your table this morning. Lord, that we have a place that you've already set the the place settings. And you say, come home. Come and eat with me today. Come and dine with me today. Come and live with me today. And that's not just for today, but it's forever. Lord, I say I thank you so much that you've given us that privilege and that opportunity. And I pray, Father, that we all would accept it today. And we all would live it out. And we would be welcomed into your dwelling place, fresh and new today, into the presence of the Most High. Thank you for your mercies and your grace. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today. Enjoy Easter. It's a new day. It's a new day. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.